3: Welcome in podcast listeners encourage you to go give us five stars make sure that you don't miss any of our podcast offerings and uh, we appreciate all of you giving us a funny or interesting or unique five-star review if Danny G reads it and he likes it you can get a remarkable five-star t-shirt in hour one you'll be able to hear from Barrett Salee of CBS Sports hour two Ryan Glasspiegel from Outkick swings by and in the third hour Petros Papadakis will be hanging out with us. A loaded show, lots of college football, lots of NFL to dive into. The Patriots survived, but what did that tell us? We'll be talking about all that and more. Top five, bottom five. The Outkick podcast begins now. Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the coverage at foxsportsradio.com. Or stream us
2: live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR.
0: Now let's get this party started.
2: You're listening to Fox Sports Radio.
3: We are now completed with the NFL Week Nine. And I got to be honest with you, I think Jets fans were rooting pretty aggressively, even though they're already on the losing side of every game so far. I got to think that they don't want to get outside of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes and at least have the ability to have that number one overall pick. And so I think last night, even when the Jets were up 10 points on the Patriots multiple times, and even, by the way, like, what in the world is Joe Flacco thinking? You're playing on a crappy Jets team. You haven't won a game all year. You're up seven points with less than six minutes to play. You've run the ball decently all night, and you decide to throw the ball deep and get it picked off and allow the Patriots to come back down and score the tying touchdown with Cam Newton. And then you can't do anything when you get the ball back with about two minutes to play. You then manage to give the ball back to Cam and the Patriots And then they bombed through a 50-plus-yard field goal at the end of the game to win. So, look, the Patriots are a bad football team. There's nobody out there, I think, at this point in time arguing that the Patriots are any good at all. But, man, the Jets were just so incompetent down the stretch that a part of me wonders, were they trying to tank to lose in the coaching staff? And what in the world was Joe Flacco thinking throwing that ball into double coverage like he did? But... We have now finished the NFL Week 9. We have got a loaded show headed your direction. Let me give you a roadmap of where we're going. Uh, Barrett Salee is going to join us uh, in the next segment here. We're also going to talk with Ryan Glasspiegel from OutKick in the second hour. And then in the third hour, Petros Papadakis will swing by and hang out with us. All of those things headed in your direction. But as we often do, top five, bottom five on Tuesday and usually we start off with the top five, the list of positivity, but I think based on the Jets playing last night, Monday Night Football, in honor of that game, in conjunction as well with the fact that the Patriots are not very good, I think we start off with the bottom five teams in the NFL. Let's go ahead and run through and make sense of what I think is an ugly, ugly collection of talent. So, these are the teams. Let me just say this. If your team is bad, I think there might be five or six quarterbacks that are drafted in the first round, depending on what exact needs there are out there. Because I think there are a lot of talented quarterbacks coming out of college football at the end of this year. I know it's early, but there are a lot of bad teams. And since we're talking about bad football teams, what cures bad football teams, usually decent quarterbacks. So look, Trevor Lawrence probably going to go number one overall. Justin Fields, if you watched him play so far this year, the Ohio State Buckeyes 3-0. and He looks incredible. All right. And then I think it gets intriguing what exactly the rest of the quarterback positions will look like. I love Kyle Trask. I think Kyle Trask has first-round quarterback talent at Florida based on what I've seen from him. Zach Wilson at BYU for the right system, particularly if you look at what Kyler Murray has been able to accomplish. Zach Wilson could theoretically make a lot of sense as well out of BYU for some people. Uh, Trey Lance, I'm not going to claim to be an expert in, I believe it's North Dakota State, Uh, quarterback signal callers I haven't watched a single one of his games but everybody seems to be in love with him and Mac Jones all right that is six playmakers at the quarterback position that I think will have some interest in the first or early part of the second round depending on which teams are picking now you want Trevor Lawrence because he's going to project so highly but I think if you were watching last night certainly the Jets want Trevor Lawrence and we know the Jags want Trevor Lawrence probably, but also if you're a Patriot fan, which of these quarterbacks are you looking at? And in the back of your mind, are you kind of thinking if you're a Patriot fan, hey, we're two and five, we're three and five now, two and six, whatever the math is. Why do we need to be concerned about trying to make the playoffs? So we're not going to make the playoffs this year. I think we should be trying to get the best possible quarterback. And that means I want us to have the best possible pick to give Belichick an opportunity to try and go and draft uh, the replacement for Tom Brady because the likelihood out there is not very high that you're going to be able uh, to uh, to necessarily get a replacement and bring back Cam Newton or bring back Jared Stidham or anybody else. It feels like to me it's pretty easy to make the decision to go ahead and and tank if you're the Patriots because of all the success you've had, and you want to have like an easy transition where you go to another good quarterback. So that's my idea anyway. But the Jets tanked, and so here we have it the list of the worst teams in the NFL so far this year through nine weeks. In the 28th spot, I have got the Washington football team. They are sitting at two and six. Why, you might ask, do I have them at 28? Their only two wins are over other NFC East teams. That means, my friends, they are not very good at all. In the 29th spot, and maybe I should flip these teams based on the results, another team that is not very good at all, the Giants. The reason why I have the Washington football team a little bit better than the Giants is because at least they have beaten the Eagles And I think as a result, the resume is a little bit better for Washington than it is for the Giants. In the 30th spot, I have got the Cowboys. That means three of the five worst teams in the NFL right now are all from the NFC East. In the 31st spot, I have got the Jags, who are desperately hoping that they are going to be able to fight their way into the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And in the 32nd spot, I have got the poor misbegotten Awful, Jets. All right. So, uh, if we break those down, Dub, how would you assess the bottom five teams in the NFL right now? Do you agree with my bottom five?
0: Well, there's certainly no argument with number thirty-two, the New York Jets.
3: Easiest call we've had in a long team, long time for the worst team in the NFL
0: right now. Absolutely. And for much of that game last night, I was thinking, I mean, who is Clay going to put it as, as his new worst team? But not to worry, the Jets became the Jets late in the fourth quarter. Joe Flacco with that. Interception. interception. I mean, that's just unexplainable to me why they were even throwing the ball in that situation. But then, yeah, you mentioned it, the three NFC East teams. No surprise there. The only surprise is that there's three teams in one division that are that bad in the NFL. That still is shocking to me that the NFC East and how bad they are this season.
3: Did I mess that up? I mean, I haven't. Uh, the NFC East is so atrocious that I honestly just kind of gradually, uh, you know, glance at some of these games when they're featuring the bad teams. Did Washington? Washington, and this also speaks like the the Giants just beat Washington, right? They
0: did, yeah. Twenty three twenty. I knew one of them.
3: Yeah, I knew one of them out. won twenty three to twenty over the other. So let me flip that. I'll give because inevitably, you know, people will be like, "Wait a minute, why are the Giants worse than Washington?" I'll give the Giants credit. I will put the Giants at 28 and I will put Washington at 29 just based off of the game that we just saw. So the the, the Giants are a small smidge better than the Washington football team. Do you disagree with any of the rankings otherwise? So I'm, I'm modifying on the fly here. I've got in the 28th spot, the Giants, 29th spot, the Washington football team, 30th overall, I've got the Cowboys. 31, the Jags. 32, the Jets.
0: Yeah, it's hard to argue. Those those are the bottom five teams, in my opinion, as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, all of those teams. I mean, honestly, there is some reason for optimism. One of the big challenges here would be, like, by the way, the Dwayne Haskins story is still super weird, right? Like the fact that now you've got a Kyle Allen serious injury. you got Alex Smith coming off the injury. Dwayne Haskins has just disappeared. So we feel like Washington's in the quarterback market. I think, frankly, the Cowboys as this season collapses. I mean, if you really like one of these rookie first-round quarterbacks, I'd be almost more inclined to go with them over, over Dak. We know that the Jags are in the mix And I think it's just hard to believe that the Jets are really going to stick with Sam Darnold, right? I I, I just think it's highly unlikely that they are going to stay in that position. When we come back, we got Barrett Salih swinging by. We'll break out uh, everything in the world of college football with him. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
1: com/slash/sports/tirerack.com the way tire buying should be.
3: Joined now by Barrett Salee. He's a writer analyst at CBS Sports.com and CBS Sports HQ. He's been on the show a lot over the years. Barrett, let's uh, let's start here. Notre Dame finally wins a massive game. I thought it was probably the most entertaining college or NFL game that was going on throughout the entire weekend. What does it mean going forward for Notre Dame and for Clemson and the college football playoff in general?
2: Well, for the playoff in general, it's like it's the ACC's dream scenario, right? Yep. Because you have Notre Dame winning the first game. If they go undefeated into Charlotte in the ACC championship game and get a one loss Clemson and lose, then both of them go. Because Notre Dame has right now the best win in college football this year. So it's the ACC's dream scenario. And really, I, I think it's plausible. And, Clay, I mean, you know this. Like Notre Dame's the most polarizing team in college football. You either love them or you hate them. And there's really no in-between. Um, two years ago, when they were in the Cotton Bowl in the semifinal, they were outman. I mean, it was like varsity versus JV. Yep. You watch them play Clemson on Saturday from an athleticism standpoint? They look the same, yeah, and and, it's sort and they of like, dominated
3: on the offensive and defensive lines of scrimmage. I mean, Notre Dame could right? run the ball; Clemson could not. While everybody's going to focus on Trevor Lawrence not playing, Clemson moved DJ the ball through lost. the air. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, DJ Uyunglele was fine. Um, so that's what that's what I think sort of you know might have gotten lost is that they they didn't look like the paper tiger. They didn't look like the fraud that that. I think a lot of us knew that they were two years ago, so I think that is is really important because if they can do that against Clemson and and match the athleticism that Davo Sweeney has built, then sort of by extension, they're on the same level as Alabama and Ohio State. So uh, that was the biggest thing on that side, and the other thing for Clemson is it's not DJ Umechalala; he's fine. Um, they lost the, the the running game. I don't know why. They forgot that Travis Etienne exists, but apparently they did. And the secondary for Clemson is not good. And that's been the case really throughout the course of the season. So, um, you know, it it, it, it was eye-opening. There's no doubt about it. And I think you probably are in the same place that I was where you thought it was the big three and then a massive drop-off to Notre Dame florida you know whoever and and now uh, i think it's fair to say that it's a big four because notre dame hasn't looked like that since the 80s like no joke they looked like they belonged
3: all right the other game you just mentioned florida georgia florida absolutely dominated georgia outside of the first couple of minutes of that game when georgia got up 14 nothing did that result surprise you? And does Florida have the horses to be able to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game?
2: It didn't surprise me. I thought like that Florida would win by double digits, uh, and that was one of my three best bets on sports line. And they did. Yeah, and
3: I, I agreed I with think, you, by the way. That was my blood bank guarantee. I mean, I've watched all those games be played, and I just don't understand how. Yeah,
2: I don't understand how
3: Georgia was favored.
2: I don't either. And I took the money line, and it yeah. was fine. It was. It was, I think that there was this sort of idea that we have traveled back in time to the year 2011 and that defense wins championships. And, A, that's not real anymore. That's not how college football is. And, really, it's not like that's not the way the NFL is either. And then, B, Georgia's defense was all beat up anyway. When you, when you don't have two All-Americans, that's problematic last time i checked so um georgia had those two things working for it and then then the the quarterback situation is is just an absolute mess so i figured florida would put 30 on them and it would be on stetson bennett and that offense to to go throw for throw and they just they can't do that like there's there's no way they were fool's gold they were fraudulent and you know i live in atlanta I think there was this false sense of hope that this was going to, you know, the, the streak would continue and, and Georgia would find a way because they they own Florida. And in reality, you know, I, I don't know how anybody can look at that game and realistically talk themselves into into Georgia having any chance whatsoever.
3: I'm with you now what about Florida against Alabama let's presume that Florida is going to be the SEC East representative what kind of chance do you give Florida to beat Alabama in Atlanta in the SEC championship game
2: better than anybody else in the SEC by far and I would say um aside from you know Clemson Ohio State Notre Dame to a point they're right there in that discussion because Kyle Trask is just that good right you look at his numbers, Clay, after five games, guess who had 22 touchdowns last year through five games? Joe so- Burrow is my best, yeah. Guess, 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 how many, guess, how many, guess how many yards he had. It was like somewhere around 1,800. Guess who has somewhere around 1,800 right now? Kyle <laughs> um Yeah, you know, if you're looking for – if you're going to beat Alabama, right? Like if you're going to beat Alabama, you're going to have to, to match them score for score. Right? like That's what Alabama does now, and Florida can do that. And if they can just defensively stop them on third down every once in a while, stop them in the red zone, hold them the field goals, yeah, they can beat them. And, and Florida defensively, they've done that the last few weeks. So I wouldn't say I'd pick Florida, but could I, could I see them winning? Yeah, absolutely. I would say 25% chance if I had to, to, to guess right now.
3: All right, let's kind of look at the big picture of college football right now. There are uh, COVID issues breaking out everywhere. This is not a huge surprise given the fact that we have made the rules that we have as it pertains to positive tests and contact tracing and everything else associated with those. Should college football, if you had a magic wand, just move back the dates of the conference title games and push back, the, uh, push back the playoff dates as well to allow as many games as possible to get played.
2: I would. Um, the problem is the Rose Bowl care, cares too much about their silly little parade. The friggin' Rose Bowl. Parade parade. It's unbelievable. It, yes. It's so dumb. Like It is so dumb. So you're going to have to convince the Rose Bowl to, to do something that they don't want to do. And then the Sugar Bowl will just go along. They, they have their TV time, but whatever. They'll just they'll go along. So I would, if you can convince the, the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl to move back 100%, and I think the way you sell it is, okay, move the conference championship games back to January 1st or whatever, and then work in the bowl games and the playoffs to where the national championship game is between the conference championship games in the NFL and the Super Bowl. Yeah, Make it that Saturday or make it that Sunday. Doesn't matter. Um, I would do that. I, I think, you know, like we talked about, the, the Rose Bowl cares too much about its silly little parade on New Year's Day, and and convincing them that that's a good idea is way easier said than done. But but I would do it. And but here's the thing: is you know the SEC and and the other conferences outside the Big Ten and, and the Pac-12, they they did all they could to build in safeguards, and and really the SEC has done a really good job of it because they haven't had to cancel any games yet. They postponed them, but they haven't had to cancel. Same with the ACC. So. You know, I think that they're, they're it's going it, I wouldn't say it's going well, but it's it, it's kind of going down the path that I think a lot of people you and I included thought that it would go, and I think it's very interesting that. The teams that have COVID issues, aside from Texas A and M, but um, the teams in the SEC that have COVID issues have had massively disappointing seasons, talking about That's Mississippi right. State yeah. and LSU. It's, I've talked to many coaches. They thought that if their teams tank, it's gonna be really hard to get college kids to to, to still stay the course. And guess what was ten days ago? It was Halloween. Yep. Guess what's a big party day in college? In college? On
3: a Saturday, no less. Halloween, yeah, by the Halloween.
2: way. Halloween. So, you know, if, if you have the, the confluence of circumstances where, you know, you have a big party day and you've got a team or teams that are kind of out of it, guess what happens? You go out. And what was the report from Ross Dellinger of SI.com that the LSU players had their issue pop up because of a Halloween party. And guess what happened on Memorial Day? And guess what happened on July 4th? Same thing.
3: And honestly, if you extend the season, and this is why I think this is such an intriguing question. We're talking to Barrett Salee. He's a writer-analyst at CBSSports.com, CBS Sports HQ. Then you put even more into play Thanksgiving, which I'm sure you have heard from a lot of coaches they're nervous about because family interactions and everything else. And then also... If you push back the conference title games, you run through Christmas, which becomes an even bigger issue because people are going to say, wait a minute, you know, right now the game is played on December 19th, I believe if I'm correct, all the conference title yeah. games. They announce who's going to be in the playoff on the 20th. Well, the next weekend is Christmas weekend, so you're going to be getting crushed by so many people out there like, oh, look at all these uh, you know, college athletes who aren't even able to go home for Christmas. They're having to stay and play in these games, and they're not able to have normal lifestyles and everything else. But the coaches would all say, Thanksgiving and Christmas is when their players are going to go home, be around a lot more people in their family, and theoretically all come back and test positive, much like may have happened around Halloween.
2: Right, and that goes back to something that really was apparent back in May and June. They're, they're safer on campus. Amen.
3: They're, they're we talked about that. that. I think you, no I think problem. you came on when we were having the battle of whether college football would be played or not, and we made that argument. They're safer, surrounded by constant testing. On a college campus, with all the medical personnel and all of the support staff trying to keep them from being exposed to the
2: virus. Well, that's common sense, and that ain't so common these days, Clay. Yeah, you know how that goes. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're getting tested three, four times a week, and you're in a, a pseudo bubble as much as you can can make it, at least in college football terms, then yeah. And and I think you know, in, in years past, you had. Coaches allow kids to go home for 48 hours during Thanksgiving, you know, just that even if they have a game on Saturday, they, they find a way to make it work. And if they, you know, don't go home, they'll have a Thanksgiving dinner, or whatever. Uh, Christmas is a different animal. And, and you know, if you have kids, if you have college, college athletes there for a reason to play football, then but you're, you're actually going to protect a lot of people, not just those players, but, their families, and everybody who their families come in contact with. So, yeah, it's it, there are a lot of moving parts to this. And, and getting back to what you asked earlier, because of all those things, yeah, you need to push back the playoffs. And really, you should push back the bowl season too. But, but the playoff, obviously, is the moneymaker. Personally, I would love all bowl games to start, you know, the second week of January and just roll them through, put them on at midweek. If there are no fans there. They already are TV programs. Right, like that's the reason they exist. Yeah, but so they're gonna be no fans there. Just put them on on a Wednesday. That's what the Mac's doing uh, with, the, with their schedule Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Let's go.
3: When you look at the Big Ten right now, you've got Nebraska zero and two. You've got Penn State zero and three. You've got uh, Michigan one and two. Which of those three programs would you buy stock in right now if you had to buy stock in one of them? Oh man
2: talk about buying the
3: dip um. <laughs> yeah no kidding which i hope by the way a lot of you did out there back in march uh with the uh the covid collapse we hit a new stock market high uh yesterday but it's no uh, no, no harm no foul there but an easy interlude so michigan one and two oh and three penn state or oh and two uh nebraska which frankly probably would be oh and three if their game against wisconsin had been able to be played yeah we
2: should have to get too, but that's just yeah, yeah,
3: with no so, kidding. That's
2: done well as well. Yeah. <laughs> and that worked out pretty well. Um, no, I uh, I guess Penn State, just because I trust James Franklin, I think that team, when uh, Micah Parsons opting out their star linebacker, I think that was kind of expected. But when they lost Journey Brown, their top running back, a week before the season, and then they lost Noah Kane, their second best running back, um, you know, three carries into the season. I I think it demoralized them to the point that they're just sort of disinterested at this point. And I think for James Franklin, uh, there's no playbook for this, right? Like there's no blueprint for how to deal with a team getting disinterested in the middle of a pandemic. So I think he's having a hard time trying to figure out how to do that. But, you know, the the ceiling for Penn State is high. I don't think anybody – this, this, uh, disagrees there. Uh, it's not for Nebraska anymore because this is not 1995. And for Michigan, I, I would like Michigan to be good, but they're so married to Jim Harbaugh and they're so locked in for a variety of different reasons that it's almost impossible for him not to be there. And he's the problem. You know, at Penn State, it's them being disinterested. That's the problem. At Nebraska, it's the recruiting baby. That's the problem. At Michigan, it's Jim Harbaugh and it's a lot more difficult to get rid of him or separate from him uh, than, than the other two schools had in fixing their problems.
3: So one of our writers at OutKick, Greg Couch, floated the idea that Jim Harbaugh to the Chicago Bears could make sense. Harbaugh, obviously, a lot of connections in the Midwest. How does the Harbaugh-Michigan relationship end? Do you think he's coaching for Michigan next year?
2: Oh, man. I would say 50-50 on that. Um, it depends on what jobs are open in the NFL. Um, I would lean toward no just because I think there's, there's so many moving parts with COVID that the, the, the massive disruption of everything this offseason would be really hard for a program to come back from even a program as you know, potentially good as Michigan. To me, you can't fire him, right? He's your guy. Financially, it is what it is. And you know you can't if you're if you're Jim Harbaugh you don't want to to, to hold your your alma mater hostage so to speak right so to me I think the way it ends is like a couple with an amical divorce right like they they just fell out of love with each other they're still going to work their hardest to make sure their kids do well and they have great lives but they just fell out of love with each other I think. Somehow you have to make that happen, and if that means Jim Harbaugh taking a massive, massive hit to his buyout, then so be it. And if it means Michigan maybe putting their financial stability at more risk than they like but not a ton more, then okay, you do that. But it's got to be some sort of, of friendly, amicable divorce like a couple has and they fall out of love with each other.
3: We're talking to Barrett Salee, writer, analyst, CBS cbssports.com, CBS Sports HQ. Q freeze, 7-0, wins on the road over Syracuse and on the road over Virginia Tech. Liberty football, nobody would have ever believed that they would be 7-0, and ever. He's doing it in year two. I think there is so much corona-related financial difficulties in college sports right now That is, you just kind of walked through with the Jim Harbaugh situation. It's going to be relatively difficult in order to be able to, uh, you know, kind of work through this. Right. It's going to be hard to fire a coach. It's going to be hard with all the people that are getting laid off to hire a new coach. Does freeze come back to Liberty by default because no really good jobs are going to come open at the end of this year?
2: I think... That is the, mo- the most likely scenario of about fifty different scenarios. Um, I think you're going to have to have a, t- a program that is readily available, and the one that is just happens to be his alma mater in Southern Miss. So yeah. I think there's that. But would he want to go there? Because Liberty's poured a ton of money into that football program. Yeah, so I think that's. I think job. I think that's
3: not a. I think that's not a move he'd be able. He'd be willing to make.
2: Person. i agree it, it almost be like going uh, a lateral move just for the sake of doing it which does which is stupid um i do think the double secret probation in the sec is still a thing but at some point that's got to be lifted because uh, otherwise he's going to sue him um but uh, where would he go would it be tennessee or South Carolina? south carolina would make a move maybe financially if it makes sense but would he want to go there? Does he feel like he could win there knowing that Georgia and Florida are in that division? At Tennessee, would they be willing to? I mean, Tennessee, you know better than I do, the decade of dysfunction is a real thing. They've kicked yep. out a lot of money to coaches in a lot of different sports who were not coaching them. Yes. Do you want to go down that road again? I, probably not. I, and and the, the reason I say he's probably going to have to Liberty more than anything else is that he makes most sense in the Big 12. But the Big 12, what, they've killed five jobs over the last two and a half years. Uh, there, there just is not anything there. So, yeah, I think he stays at Liberty and continues to build his rep. And I think if I had to, to, to bet at some point in the near future, not this off season, but really soon after, he's in the SEC again.
3: Uh, Barrett Salee, we appreciate you getting up early for us. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens this week. Lots of drama coming, certainly in the world of college football. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Glenn. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
1: rack.com slash sports dot the way tire buying should be
3: there's a big story out there right now and that is college football and how you basically finish the season let me explain so right now in college football the sec the acc and the big 12 have had an advantage in the way that they set up their overall season and that advantage, frankly, is just that they started in September, so they had bye weeks, so they had the ability to adjust on the fly. And now you've got the ability of those leagues still barely to be able to postpone games as opposed to have to cancel them. And so, in the Pac 12, you've already seen cancellations. In the Big Ten, you've already seen cancellations. So far, knock on wood, we haven't seen conference games canceled in in the ACC, the SEC, or the Big 12. But it is possible that those conferences might, as we move through November, start to have some issues. Why? Halloween, first of all. A lot of college kids, if you have been on a college campus, you know that one of the best times of year, of the year by far, is Halloween. And Halloween on a Saturday, even in the middle of a pandemic, maybe even more so than normal, I think college kids wanted to get together and have a big party. And in fact, let me bring in Dub, who is the closest to college age of anybody on the show. Dub, if you had been at Auburn and you had the opportunity to go to a Halloween party, as many good-looking girls as are on any college campus dressed in what we can fairly say are often scandalous costumes... Is there a better party to go to consistently on a college campus than a Halloween party on a college campus?
0: There's zero doubt about it. And this brings me back to one of my fondest memories while at Auburn. Sky Bar, the biggest bar in the town of Auburn, always had a Halloween costume contest. So I saw an opportunity. And this was right after the uh, Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn Jenner uh, transformation, if you will. So I I decided I wanted to win $1,000. So I dressed Which up. Which is as,
3: a lot of money for a college kid. It by is. The way.
0: It is. So I dressed up as Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, and did you I win? and I won. So yeah.
3: What was your outfit like? What was your go-to?
0: It was. I found a costume of what Did you show
3: she, a lot of skin.
0: I showed a fair amount of skin for you know a hairy guy like me.
3: Yeah, you got a lot of chest hair.
0: Yeah, and so I found a costume that was her exact uh, what she wore on the cover of Vogue. Oh, and wow. that's what I wore. Yeah, and, and, and so
3: I, you won a thousand dollars in the costume contest. That's right. That's a, that, I mean, was it cash?
0: Uh, straight cash, homie.
3: I mean, straight cash, homie. That is a lot of money for a college kid. So, oh, man. What I think is going to start to happen, and I'm sure you will agree uh, because you've been on a college campus at a far more recent time than I have, is the teams that are not very good are going to start to uh, have issues with discipline internally, right? Because we're into November now, and what you're seeing now is some of the positive tests coming out uh, from Halloween – if your team has a chance to win a championship, I think guys are going to be a lot more disciplined in general. Not to say there's not going to be some knuckleheads on championship teams, too, but it would surprise me if Alabama players were going out to Halloween parties, right? It would not surprise me if Mississippi State and LSU and Tennessee. And a lot of these teams, Kentucky, that aren't very good, sitting around 2-4, and they're like, well, why do we care at this point? If I test positive, I'll just miss a couple of games. It's not like the season's going incredible. And they're going to have to figure out how to deal with this, not only Halloween, but also Thanksgiving, right? As we get closer to Thanksgiving, because the seasons are going on into December a little bit later than they ordinarily would. And then on top of that, They're not far away from uh, Christmas. And so I do think as college kids get off campus around Thanksgiving, that could probably help. But it's no surprise to me at all. I was texting with coaches. I was like, you guys are going to have issues with Halloween. It's on a Saturday. Guys are going to get home. Either they're going to be on bye week or some cute girl is going to say, hey, we're out like, oh, look at my outfit. Or they're going to get on Instagram and they're going to see these costumes and they're going to be like, I got to be there. Right, and this is like totally to me uh, a a reasonably easy to predict issue that was going to arise. And now the question is going to be, if you have to start moving games, well, you don't necessarily have the ability because some teams have already taken over that final week, right? Because now you're getting through the bye weeks. And for instance, if LSU has an issue this week against Alabama which explodes into a larger issue, then is already scheduled on the final week of the season to be playing against Florida. Well, that may not be fair anyway, because Florida might have to play the week before the SEC championship while Alabama gets a bye week. But figuring out exactly how this is all going to shake out is a major issue. And so you heard me talking about it a little bit with Barrett Salee, One of the questions that I think is going to be asked in very short order is how definite are the conference title games to be played on December 19th? And how important is it for the college football playoff to announce the playoff teams on December 20th? Can they move those deadlines back to provide greater flexibility in terms of when guys are going to be able to play games? And that is going to be a question that is asked by an awful lot of conferences, I believe, as these Halloween results start to percolate out a little bit more. Definitely worth paying attention to, following, and seeing what exactly is going to be happening there. So we will continue to discuss that. We're doing top five, bottom five now that the NFL Week 9 is officially finished. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Oh, oh, oh,
1: O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart.